tyranny, tyranny, tyranny everywhere, folks. Uh, can you spell J-E-W? Because that is the source of all this tyranny. Of course, mass media is never going to explain that to you because mass media is also owned by the perfidious J-E-W. Welcome, everybody, to Ragnarok, or I should say Eurofolk Radio. <laughs> and today we're going to be discussing Scandinavian mythology and its relationship to the Bible, which is, again, uh, uh, Michael and I have done many shows showing that the northern nations of Europe, uh, the, the so-called Nordic nations, are in fact descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, their mythology, Scandinavian mythology, is based on the Bible. We're going to demonstrate that today. To you today. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing very good in um, sunny Sweden, so this is very nice. I've been sitting outside now before and sitting and reading, and now I'm ready for um, doing some uh, and doing some battle for for our for the coming kingdom. Yes. Oh man, it's coming quickly. <laughs> I just can't wait to to see Ragnarok. As far as I know, that means the day of judgment in the Nordic languages. Is that how you see it, Ragnarok? Yeah, that's kind of uh, that's uh, the view I also had on it when I it was a long time I read it though. But uh, okay. yes, Ragnarök. That yeah. is uh, the how you pronounce it in Swedish. So even even in that uh, sense, it is a biblical concept. Where, where do you get the Judgment Day from? Right. Yes. Where, yeah, they got it from the Bible. <laughs> they just have uh, different words for it, right? So, yes, and it's not, the, and then sort of interacting, but it's not the opposite around often that the pagans say that that uh, that Ragnarök came first, and then and, and then, then the, the Bible often right. they try to twist it and say that the Bible came after or something like that. Yeah, right. Well, I think we can show definitively that the Nordic runes are based on Hebrew characters, the, the Paleo Hebrew characters. There's no doubt about this. Okay, so everything the pagan, the Nordic pagans believe about the Bible is the exact reverse of what reality is. Okay, so uh, the Bible came first, and the Nordic mythology came second. <laughs> All right, so here let's get into it. Ragnarok, Scandinavian mythology, uh, Götterdämmerung. That uh, Wagner wrote the whole uh, opera series on Götterdämmerung. Okay, the the Judgment Day. Ragnarok, Old Norse, Doom of the Gods. In Scandinavian mythology, the end of the world of gods and men. Ragnarok is fully described only in the Icelandic poem, The Luspa, Sibyl's Prophecy. Who's Sibyl? Do you know who Sibyl is? This has got to be some pagan goddess, right? Uh, or maybe she's one of those uh, uh, oracles. Sibyl is maybe an oracle that the uh, pagan pagan people consulted, probably of the late 10th century, and in the 13th century, prose Edda of Snorri Sturluson died 1241, which largely follows the Voluspa. According to those two sources, the Ragnarok will be preceded by cruel winters and moral chaos. Okay, we... Yeah, global cooling, <laughs> global freezing is coming next, folks. And have we got moral chaos yet, Michael? Oh, we will have <laughs> chaos. Um, we'll see the cold winters. Yeah, there is cold, but it's a coldness in a more of a um, metaphorical sense, I would say. Could be, yeah, cruel. And it says cruel, not just cold. Cruel winters where people maybe are starving to death because they don't have enough fuel to heat their homes. 
Could that yes, be? That can... Okay. That's coming, folks, because the war in Ukraine is causing shortages of gas, oil, and uh, gasoline, gas being the uh, air product, right? The, the gaseous product that heats homes and gasoline heats, uh, runs your car. And uh, heats your car too, et cetera, et cetera. So, folks, these shortages could amount to a very cruel winter. Giants and demons approaching from all points of the compass will attack the gods. Who are the gods, in your opinion, Michael? The gods, in my opinion, is um, not to be proud of, but it is the Israelite people, the Caucasian people. Amen. That's exactly what I was thinking. Who will meet them and face death like heroes? <laughs> okay, we we have to face death like heroes. Otherwise, what? There is no room for cowards in heaven. The sun will be darkened. The stars will vanish. The earth will sink into the sea. Sounds just like the book of Revelation, doesn't it? Yes, in a more, in another, in a other way to describe it but it's kind of the same the same linguistics and the same more some more maybe in a nordic way to describing it yeah it's just yeah it's that the nordic gods have big muscles and large swords uh yeah they had but um, unfortunately (laughs) now i think something has happened but (laughs) and i did not look by the way and uh, sybil as you mentioned that's apparently that ancient greece god goddesses okay yes yeah, so, uh, so uh, prophesized oracle in ancient Greece. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's based on Greek mythology. Very yeah, interesting. It seems- and mm-hmm. I, I think we've done some shows where showing that the Greek goddesses are all based on Eve. Okay. They're just yeah, Sargon, uh, Sargon the Magnificent. Right. Uh, shows that elegantly. Yes, right? And so all these gods and goddesses, the pantheons of other cultures are based on the story of Adam and Eve. No doubt about it. Okay, so it's even more proof that uh, uh, the Bible came first, Hebrew became came first, and then Norse, Norse legends came second. Okay, so let's continue. Afterward, the earth will rise again. The innocent Baldr will return from the dead. And the hosts of the just will live in a hall roofed with gold. Again, just sounds just like the book of Revelation. So who's Balder? Balder has got yeah. to Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you what do you think? What I'm thinking about is Jesus Christ. Yeah, Amen. The Messiah. Amen. He's gotta be the Messiah. Okay. Here I'm clicking on this. Balder, old Norse Balder of Norse mythology, son of the chief god, Odin, and his wife Frigg. Beautiful and just, he was the favorite of the gods. Most legends about him concerned his death. Icelandic stories tell how the gods amused themselves by throwing object at him, knowing that he was immune from harm. Okay, well, okay, yeah, it's, Baldur is uh, Yahshua Messiah in, Nor- in Nordic legends. There's no doubt about it. All right. So, okay. Sorry uh, about them saying that Odin was his father. It's maybe wrong. It was Yahweh was his father. So they have a bit made a, they have made a little um, side right. step here. Um, wrong yeah. direction. But it's the same. It's the same. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, that uh, the god Odin had. Then apparently uh, Balder. But it is, of course, Yahweh had the son, um, Yeshua, Yeshua. Yes. Okay. So uh, next is. Yggdrasil, I lost my place in the original document, but uh, I just want to go through it anyway. Yggdrasil, Yggdrasil, Old Norse 
Mima Mider in Norse mythology, the world tree, a giant ash supporting the universe. One of its roots extended to Niflheim, the underworld. <laughs> Do you sense a, a connection between Niflheim and the Nephilim? Yeah, that could, yeah. Okay, you know where this is? Go ahead. The word is very, is very similar. They have the similar, uh, very similar, um, uh, similar siblings. Yeah, not yeah, siblings, yeah. but the, the word. Yeah, they're very similar in meaning, right? Uh, and of course, the Bible came first, and Norse mythology came second. Another into Jutenheim, land of the giants. Well, where, where do you get the stories from the giants from? The Bible, of course. There you go. And the third into Asgard. Home of the gods. Okay, and we have pointed out numerous times here on Eurofolk Radio that Asgard is actually Assyria because that's where the origin Odin left Assyria and became the god in human form of all the Norse mythology. Okay, so Asgard is actually Assyria and its yeah. base. And yes, go ahead. Also, uh, what I have found out is that uh, Asgard is a reference to the uh, Asaheim, the, their homeland that was placed in Azerbaijan. That yes. was where um, uh, exactly, was yeah, that and was the home there of their what do you say that was their home, and they called themselves Asar, Asher, very yes. close to the to the tribe of Asher. Right, Azerbaijan is actually part of the uh, the territory that the uh, Assyrians ruled over, okay? So again, the connection to Assyria is very strong, and the connection to the 12 tribes of Israel, who were tributaries and slaves of the Assyrians during their sojourn as the 10 northern tribes under the Assyrians, okay? Uh, So it all fits perfectly into our Israelite history. There's no doubt about it, okay? So at its base were three wells, Urdarbrunner, well of fate, from which the tree was watered by the Norns, the fates, Hevergelmir, roaring kettle, in which dwelt Nidhog, the monster that gnawed at the tree's roots. Okay. So again, we can see the tree of life. What's the tree of life, folks? It's the white race, <laughs> as depicted in the Bible, all right? The race of Yahshua Messiah. It's the white race, okay? So they, they just forgot their connection to the Bible and their connection to Yahshua Messiah and invented all these terms that are very similar and close in meaning, but, of course, have pagan orientation, okay? So the, who's the monster that gnawed at the tree's roots? Who could that be? Oh. Oh, that must be the 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 Edomite Jews. There you go, the offspring of Satan. Okay, and Mimis Brunner, Mimir's well, source of wisdom, for the waters of which Odin sacrificed an eye. Yeah, and uh, we talked about this before. Odin was a one-eyed uh, was a one-eyed guy. He lost an eye in a battle somewhere. Okay. Yeah, but isn't it also? Uh, written verse in the Bible that referring to this one eye. I think there is a reference to this one, this vision of one-eyed man. Okay. I think it was in Zechariah. I can have a look, see if I can find it. Yeah, see, see if you can find it. So and here again, we, wisdom in the scripture is regarded as a woman. 
Okay, it's always uh, uh, regarded as a female entity that uh, gives us wisdom. Okay, so wisdom is female in the Bible, and it's also female here in the Norse legends. Okay, after Ragnarok, Doomsday, the world tree, though badly shaken, was to be the source of new life. Oh, really? <laughs> Again, we see biblical mythology uh, in, in order here. Okay, so this is uh, this is pretty obvious once you understand that the, the fact that all of this Norse mythology comes from the, the 12 tribes of Israel transplanted into the modern world and the world of Europe, then you can see the connection. All right, so, and I, for some reason, my, let me see if I can uh, rejuvenate here. Yeah, okay, I wasn't able to get back to the main page, but, but I finally, I just refreshed the page and that worked. So there's one more, Loki. Loki, in Norse mythology, a cunning trickster <laughs> who had the ability to change his shape and sex. Huh. Uh, Nakash, maybe? Okay. What's the, uh, uh, what's that god, the, the uh, hermaphrodite god that has the genitals of both male and female? Right? And, uh, Baphomet. Baphomet, yeah. So, could Loki be based on Baphomet? I think so. And who could, who could this cunning trickster be other than oh. Nakash? Yeah, cunning trickster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Nakash was the most cunning of all the creatures that Yahweh had created. Okay? Although his father was the giant Farbauti, uh, well, fallen angel, Farbauti, and the book of Enoch says it was uh, ooh, Gadrel. Gadrel, the fallen angel Gadrel. And he was included among the Aesir, a tribe of gods. Loki was represented as the companion of the great gods Odin and Thor. So and, uh, so they get this all mixed up. and uh, But Loki was a trickster, and he was a companion of Odin and Thor? Who was he trying to trick? <laughs> Helping them with his clever plans, but sometimes causing embarrassment and difficulty for them and himself. You see, well, couldn't that be the Jews dwelling among us? Oh, yeah. Loki, right? Yeah, yeah. that sounds like it. Loki. Yeah. He also appeared as the enemy of the gods, entering their banquet uninvited. And demanding their drink. <laughs> we have Jews coming into our nations totally uninvited and demanding we have, we feed them. Oh, yeah, but that's what they said. They shall be, they, they are those that eat our dust. That's right. They will, they're eating our dust and eventually to dust shall they return. He was the principal cause of the death of the god Balder. Man, the biblical connections here are astounding. Loki was bound to a rock by the entrails of one or more of his sons, according to some sources. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that. As punishment, thus in many ways resembling the Greek figures Prometheus and Tantalus, 
Also, like Prometheus, Loki is considered a god of fire because that's where he's going, folks. <laughs> he's going to hellfire. Folks, amazing correspondences between these Nordic, uh, Norse gods and biblical reality, folks. No doubt about it. Okay, any luck finding that one-eyed god in scripture? Yeah, not one eye god, but it is a re- I found uh, I think I found the verse about this one eye anyway. Okay. So if I can read first, I can first read from the scriptures, then I can read King James, but I'll read the scriptures first. And this is Zechariah 11:15 until 17. Okay. And Yahweh said to me, "Take again the uh, implements of a foolish shepherd. For look, I am raising up a shepherd in the land who does not visit those those straying, nor Uh seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he does eat the flesh of the fat and tear off uh, their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd forsaking the flock. Let a sword be upon his arm and upon his right eye. Uh His arm shall wither and his right eye shall be dimmed. Yeah, so that sounds like it's a prophecy of Odin. Yes, it does. It uh-huh. does, because he couldn't gather all the tribes together. That can only Yeshua Messiah does. So he, right. he only took his, his part, I guess. He couldn't get everybody together. That's only Yeshua Messiah. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Loki, the god of mischief. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah, and Bavarian man that says the sunflower oil shortage is now in the way. Heating oil is double as expensive as last year, and on and on that goes. Yeah, we're we're seeing, and of course, you ha- who do you blame? Putin, not the Jewish yeah. banksters, right? Okay, they, yeah, exactly. They won't they won't probably get that war going, but this it's not because of the the reasons they are saying because there is no conflict there. I think this is just Hollywood theatrics. That's right. Yeah, the, all the world's a stage and the Jew is the producer, <laughs> right? Oh, and, yeah, I hate that. And, and Jews are the main actors and actresses, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the rest of us have just bit parts. And they're, yes. all, <laughs> and they're all following Loki, whether they know it or not, okay? All right, so uh, now here is an article entitled The Old Testament Roots of Norse Mythology. Excellent finder, Michael. That's tremendous. It looks like that, that verse prophesied the coming of Odin. All right, and this is Israelite.info, and this is uh, a site by, uh, I forget what his name is here, but uh, he's a Jew, but he teaches, he teaches all about the 12 tribes in great detail. The only problem is he considers the modern Jewish people to be the tribe of Judah, and of course that's false. Everything else he teaches is pretty much right on the money, okay? So anyway, it's Christian, Messianic, and Jewish research into Israel's two houses, Israelite.info, and Old Testament Roots of Norse Mythology, part one of three on the Bible roots of early European mythology. Over to you, Michael. Yes, thank you very much. Okay. Here in above, we see some nice insignias uh, from the main tribe oh, yeah. source. We see Judah, Reuben, Ephraim, and Dan. Right. And then Amen. that soldier that has, and that's also some uh, fun and uh, interesting description of the soldier to the left, that they, our, our 
folks also bear very, what do you say, colorful, colorful uh, clothing. Same as the soldiers here on the left side. He wore colorful, so colorful clothes. That is also one of the our uh, our trademarks that we like those colorful, um, yeah, uh, soldier clothing that they wear. Right. Have you? That's uh, what I read in Anglo-Saxon history, the story of Anglo-Saxon history. Oh, well, actually, chain mail was invented by the Parthians, who are a branch of, uh, uh, not Zara Judah, uh, Ferris oh, Judah. Yeah. Okay. They're the ones who invented chain mail. And actually, you have a picture. Yeah, the soldier pictured there on the left is wearing a kind of a knight's costume, right, with a chain mail headdress and a chain mail outfit. Okay. So, again, this was invented by our ancestors, not by the Romans, but our ancestors. All right, back to you. No, not but the, the Parthians gave the Romans a good fight. Oh, man. The Romans never defeat the Parthians. Amen. Amen. That's why you never hear anything about Parthian history, <laughs> right? Because it's Israelite history, yeah. And the Parthians did um, destroy the whole Roman army by their tactics because they they had made a bow to their what to say to their national arm, so they could ride on on long distance from long distance from the Romans and shoot arrows at them and just uh, picking yeah. them off. Amen. Basically. They did the same to Alexander and the Greeks. The Greeks could not defeat the Parthians either, or, or the you know the uh, the the Scythians and uh, the Scythians and the. Uh, uh, Parthians are essentially the same nation, the Scythians being the other 11 tribes where the Parthians are mainly uh, of Judah, okay? So the Scythians and the Parthians had a, a strategy against both the Greeks and the Romans, uh, basically the same strategy American Indians used against the cavalry by circling the wagons, and they would circle the wagons uh, with their bows and arrows riding around the, the, the encampment, and shoot arrows and, and kill off people slowly but surely. But they, uh, this was actually begun by the Scythians and Parthians, folks. That's old tactics, really old tactics. And they were able to defeat the Greek armies by uh, riding circles around them and shooting with their arrows and, and pushing them up against either a hill or a cliff or a river from which they could not escape. All right? So, but that would, uh, uh, ultimately, they would uh, destroy the encirclement that way. But uh, th this is the tactic they use, and it was used very successfully by the Scythians and Parthians against both the Greeks and the Romans. Okay? This is our ancestors, folks. It's our tactics. Back to you. Yes, and our history. Amen. Yes. Okay. So now let's start. This is the, the Old Testament roots of North mythology, part one of three on the Bible roots of early European mythology. The religion of the early Norse exhibits customs and rituals which bear an amazing correspondence to the religion of the Hebrew Old Testament. Can all of this be just a coincidence or is there a connection? Here is the interesting evidence. Thus, Bible prophecy actually speaks to us of the North and related peoples of Europe. I believe that it does, and that these peoples are in fact the descendants of the lost tribes of the House of Israel, removed out uh, of their lands in Assyria captivity uh, 2,700 years ago, and lost to record history. 
As we will see, only the Caucasian people who migrated out of Asia into Europe have fulfilled many of the uh, prophecies in both Old and New Testament concerning Israel it should in the be, latter day. The word should be any. <laughs> only the uh, Caucasian have fulfilled any of the prophets, not just many, any, because no other people have fulfilled any of them. Back to you. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, that's what made a correction in his, in his writing. <laughs> right. Well, because he says he, he believes the Jews are Judah and the Jews haven't fulfilled any of them. <laughs> okay. All right. Back to you. Um, thank you. Let's yeah. begin our study in uh, the one and foremost prophetic books of the New Testament. Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, there appears a speculative vision that has intrigued Christians for centuries. The vision concerns a woman. Bible commentators see this woman as representing Israel and the visions as prophetic of events which were to take place in world history. We are told in verse 2 that this woman Israel was about to give birth. The child was none other than Jesus Christ. For we are told in um, verse 5 that he was a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Yeah, yeah. can only be Yeshua Messiah. Yeah, and that hasn't happened yet. It's coming. <laughs> After the judgment day. Back to you. After Ragnarok. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we had fled out into the wilderness trying to yeah. escape the child of wickedness, but they Amen. follow us. Yes, yeah, they always follow us. They eat our dust. Yep. Yeah, yeah. but they eat so we disappear. Yeah. That's the but, problem. That's but they also dust. eat. They also eat our flesh. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> right? Okay. They're not have. They're not happy with just eating our dust. They want to eat all of us. Cannibalism by Cain, the the cannibal priests. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. and it is obvious here that the woman who gave birth to our Savior is Israel. For Christ was born uh, of the um, Israel tribe of Judah, of the line of David. And just a curious question, Eli, here, because mm-hmm. now we have this this Jewish writer here that yeah. put up this with Israel, but and also said that the Jews are of Judah. So here he almost, they also say that Christ is their savior, and that is something that they utterly reject every time. Yes. So this is this I guess is only charades. This is just to confuse us to think that there are something that we that uh, what to say quote unquote good use because they are not because Satan cannot be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, uh, the vision uh, expands in verse three. We read, and there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having um, seven heads and ten horse, uh, horns. The dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered uh, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. End quote. This should remind yeah. us of the prophet Daniel's prophecy of four great beast kingdoms. They were Babylon and Assyria, Media Persia, uh, Macedonia and Rome. They formed one continuous succession of the beast empire, each one devouring or absorbing the previous, yes. using uh, the year for a um, year for a day principle of prophecy. The next verse speaks of Israel being attacked and 
persecuted for 1,260 years by the dragon beast, a period which ended with the fall of Rome in 410 AD. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. They're still here. Yeah, right. Well, actually, the the sixth beast, uh, which is the fourth beast of this vision, okay, and that, but uh, in Book of Revelation, we find out that uh, the sixth beast, Rome, has two incarnations, one being Imperial Rome and then Papal Rome, okay? But uh, but I think the the Old Testament prophecy talks about the kingdom being a, mixed, uh, a mixture of iron and clay. Yes. And iron and clay is the the race mixing that occurred under the papal under the papacy. Okay, back to you. Yeah, and that, and that kingdom cannot stand them because that is why it gets brittle and it gets destroyed. Right. That's right. Mm. So it's um, resting on on clay. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, also, doesn't these two legs represent that you have two parts of the Roman Empire? Either the that could be the Byzantine Empire and the and the Western Roman Empire, or as you say, could also be the the splits uh, from the papacy and the old Roman Empire. Right, right, and of course that uh, is the split of the prophecy of Leviticus twenty six, where the twelve tribes of Israel, the first tribe, half tribe of Manasseh, was taken into captivity in seven forty five B.C. And the 2,520-year prophecy ends with the foundation of America in 1776 A.D., okay? So if you divide that, uh, the middle year of that period would be uh, also um, part of this prophecy here. The 1,260 years is half of 2520. So some people put it at the year 380 A.D., some people, you know, somewhere in the middle, of this time, the period of 2,520 years is when this split takes place, okay? And it's, uh, it may not be an exact date, right? Because the period when Rome, Papal Rome took over from Imperial Rome was several years, actually it might have been a couple hundred years before Papal Rome actually took over from Imperial Rome. All right, back to you. Okay, thank you. Um Verse 6 says, quote, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, ah. that they should flee here, and uh, there, a thousand two hundred and three scoring days. Well, that and, was Europe, right? That has to be Europe. Okay? Yes. For the first half of this time, all right? But the second half of this time, we expanded all over the world. So again, there's tremendous correlations in these prophecies with our Israel, uh, Caucasian Israel history. Back to you. Yeah, but also during the time of the migrations, we also were in America. We were every every place else also. So, um, but yeah. as I said, we did start to colonize more rapidly after this period. Amen. Yeah. So that yeah, that would correspond to the second half. So first, Europe was colonized. Okay, by uh, Caucasian Israel, and then ultimately the whole world, <laughs> you know, wherever we saw fit to travel, was colonized by Caucasian Israel. So the 2,520-year prophecy, but it, uh, yeah, America was founded uh, exactly 2,520 years after the prophecy was stated in Leviticus chapter 26. All right, and there's other prophecies fulfilled in that uh, area too, because uh, when Babylon was destroyed, 2,520 years later, the British Empire took over 
the Middle East. So again, and of course, the British Empire being Caucasian Israel uh, fulfilled that prophecy as well. Okay, that was another prophecy uh, of the 2,520 years. So, and there's, there's probably several others. Okay, all right, back to you. Mm, thank you. Okay, all right. Uh, where in Israel's history do we read of a chosen nation fleeing in dispersion into the wilderness? This occurred when Assyria, the first beast empire, conquered them in 721 BC, dispersing them out of Palestine into the wilderness of Europe. This is the prophecy story of Israel in the wilderness going to a place prepared by God. And it is a fascinating account of how God's prophecies have come to pass. Um, and then we have a bracket, 745 BC to 476 AD is a, a 1260 lunar year period. Okay. And bracket. Uh, we don't need lunar reckoning. <laughs> but, but he gives the correct date, the correct starting date is 745 B.C., okay? Uh, but the process of the 10 northern tribes plus uh, portions of the two southern tribes probably began in 721 B.C., so this was a 24-year process uh, of deporting these these tribes into Assyria where they ultimately fled from, okay? Back to you. Yes, there's lunar interjection problem of the Talmudic teachings here. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, for sure. Uh, we read of Israel's dispersion into the wilderness in the Old Testament apocryphal book of Second Estrus, chapter 13 and verse 40. Here, the prophet Estrus tells us this about their whereabouts. Quote, there are the ten tribes who were taken captive from their land in the days of King Hosea whom Shalmaneser, the king of the Assyrians, led away into captivity and transported them across the river Euphrates. But they decided to leave the multitudes of people and proceed to a more remote region. Uh, the way of that country, which is called um, Asereth, requires a long trek of a year and a half. End okay. quote. Yes. Yeah, so uh, our Sereth, uh, the Sereth River is a tributary of the Danube, I'm pretty sure, but it, it dumps into the Black Sea, okay? So uh, again, the Black Sea area, and it was the area between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea where the Caucasian mountains exist, and there are two passes. It was actually a, a, a pass through the mountains, a high, high, you take the high road, I'll take the low road. And there's also an eastern passage along the Caspian Sea, which is easy to traverse as well. So the Bible predicts in Isaiah chapter 11, I believe it's verse 16, a second exodus of the Israel people from Assyria into an unknown land. Okay, so this is predicted in, in the Bible as well. Back to you. And did this, didn't those also different... Um route to routes um, to migrate didn't that also determine what the what the tribes call themselves is it was Scythians it was something right. else that, yeah didn't that also determine their names yeah typically the Scythians are the ones who took the eastern route and the uh, the Parthians took the northern route directly through the mountains but they also took uh, sea routes they sailed uh, to Ireland and Britain and and uh, France Italy Germany right. Uh, they took the sea route. Uh, in fact, the uh, uh, 
of uh, uh, Brother Abraham talked about the uh, going uh, going west under uh, Omri. Okay, the the Greek word for Omri is Camarian. All right, King Omri uh, had people uh, leave by boat who landed in Wales, and those people still call themselves Kumru to this day. Okay, because they are the descendants of King Omri. Of the lost ten yeah. tribes. Back to you. All right. And Kumri is just um, pronounced in ancient in Assyrian, in ancient Assyrian. Yes. Um, okay. The prophet Esther um, gave us still another solid clue in tracing Israel's northern trek when he said that they, quote, passed through the narrow entrance of the Euphrates River, end quote. Verses 43. This refers to the headwaters of Euphrates, which were toward the north, in northern Mesopotamia. In mm. fact, rivers always flow from north to south in the northern hemisphere. So, uh, we know two things for sure about the land to which the Israelites migrated. It was uh, northward, toward the Caucasus and Europe, and it was a remote wilderness. As the late Bible scholar, Dr. Uh, Pasco Gord uh, has started, quote, We know sufficient of the history of all the uh, territories such of the Caucasus to be able to say that they could find no such unsettled land there. But plains, forests, and river valleys of Europe still remained, which had not even been exploited in the days of um, Herodotus. Uh, three and a half centuries later, to that county, they took their way, and quote, and post-captivity names of Israel, page 3035. Remember that Ezra said they traveled to, quote, a more remote region, and quote, a wilderness, and that this journey was long, over a great distance, requiring, quote, a year and a half, end quote, of travel. Mm-hmm. Okay, a couple of uh, possible errors here. Uh, I don't think all rivers in the Northern Hemisphere flow from north to south. There are some exceptions because rivers have to flow from the ridges of the mountain areas down into the valleys, right? So some of those go northward and they go east and west as well. But primarily they go uh, northwest, southwest, and like the Mississippi flows almost straight south, you know, from its origin in Minnesota. So, uh, so that's generally true, but it's not uh, totally true. Okay, and also I think he's misidentifying the author of the book Post Captivity Names of Israel. I believe that was written by a guy named Bennett. Okay, so uh, I can check on that you know while you're reading. But nevertheless, uh, uh, Gord is one of the brilliant uh, uh, Dr. Pascoe Gord, brilliant uh, British Israel scholar, and so is Bennett. All right, back to you. Yeah, you mean, so uh, W.E.H. Bennett, I think. That was the book that I also read. Yeah, I read. right. Yeah, he, he, he wrote, the, I think he wrote this book and also a, a, a book about the migration. Oh, yeah, the, uh, what do you call it? The Emblems of Israel, okay? Uh, all of the uh, insignia that we children of Israel have, our, our family insignia, coats of arms, etc. He wrote a book about that, showing, and there are no Jewish, <laughs> there are no Jewish coats of arms. The, the only family of Jewry that has a coat of arms is the Rothschilds, because they copied our our tradition 
in order to pretend to be Judah, right? That's what they did. All right, back to you. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, northward from the upper reach of the Assyrian Empire was the wilderness of Europe. And there is a river, uh, Sereth, in southeastern Europe even today. Over six centuries after their dispersion, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus wrote, uh, The ten tribes did not return to Palestine. There are but two tribes in Asia and Europe, subject to the Romans, while the ten tribes are beyond the Euphrates uh, till now and are an immense multitude, end quote. Ah, and that's from Josephus Antiquity, uh, um, and that's chapter 11, page 2 and 5, and bracket. Okay. All yeah, right, sorry, the author is uh, Pasco Gord, okay? But, uh, yeah, I'll see what uh, what book the uh, was written by Bennett. Uh, please continue. Yeah, but I thought that that also that this uh, quote from Flavius Josephus also didn't also uh, Paul had the same kind of the same uh, wording in his epistles. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, Josephus said the uh, yeah the uh, the is uh, the, the lost tribes are are beyond the Euphrates and are an immense multitude, not to be estimated by number. Okay. So the New Testament Israelites in living in Judea knew that their brethren were up in Europe. They absolutely knew it, and they were corresponding with them. Yes. Uh, The lost ten tribes were mm, no longer in Palestine and were outside the realm of the Roman Empire, even though Israel had been hidden in the wilderness for six centuries when Josephus wrote. He informs us that they were an identifiable people and a great multitude which no man could number. Um, where else in the almost of history is the record of nearly an, an entire nation suddenly uh, converging on the wilderness, on a wilderness? Only the migrations of the Anglo-Saxon Gothic tribes in early Europe uh, that the land, uh, quote, we are never mankind dwelt, end quote. Amen. Uh, second, 1341. Yes. Um, can fit the can fit the pictures and uh, that occurred uh, at the very time that Israel was dispersed and became lost to history. The Anglo-Saxons, Celts and Goths uh, who overs- um, overspread Europe are said to have originated or- in the region of Media Persia about 700 BC, the very time and place in which the nation of Israel was lost to history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the early Christian church uh, noted a remarkable fact. There was a, a distinct resemblance between ancient Israel's religion and that of the early inhabitants of Europe. Early Christian writers used the Latin phrase, uh, phrase okay, you can see if I can pronounce this, quote, pre pam ratio evangelico, end quote. Okay. Yeah. Meaning that European mythology con, uh, considered a good, uh, a good quote preparations for the gospel. End quote. Yeah, we n- now know why North mythological, Celtic Druidism, and Greek mythology all bear such striking similarities to the Old Testaments. It's simply because these people were the physical descendants of ancient Israel. Israelites who migrated to Europe in ancient times, uh, uh, bringing deep-rooted traces of their religion with them when they came. Absolutely. Uh, 
uh, one of the few statements of absolute truth that is irrefutable. <laughs> okay, well said. Uh, but other amazing powers exist as well. There, uh, there was also an uncanny resemblance to ancient Canaanite religion, since ancient Israel corrupted themselves with that form of worship, according to their Bible account. In addition to that, early European mythology also bears traces to the re- religious costumes of the Babylonians and Assyrians, as you might expect, since these people exert some influence when they uh, brought Israel in captivity out of Palestine. Let's see how history offers proof of both biblical and Babylonian influence among the people of early Europe. Um, the center figure of the North mythology is the hero known as Odin. He is, uh, he is believed to be a historic figure, the king who led his tribe northward from their former uh, residence in a city called Asgard there you go. Uh, to the to hey, their new home in Western yeah. Europe. And Asgard literally means city of God. Wow. And behind- city of God. Didn't know that. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, and and so Goth, the word Goth, Goth Gothic is Gotish. It's from the old Anglo Saxon word Got. We are Gotish, the people of God, which is how the Israelites referred to themselves in old times. So the word Goth is kind of a general. Uh, reference to all 12 tribes as the people of God. Back to you. Yes, and perhaps by implication. Uh, Quote, the city of God's people, end quote. Although it has never been identified by archaeologists, it is believed to have been located either in southern Russia or northern Assyria. Place it in the region where the 10 uh, tribes were lost to history. Okay. After Odin's death, his great deeds were and expanded until he took uh, on good uh, godhood in the folk memory of the people. But it is important to note that the name Odin shows unmistakable evidence of of a Babylonian origin. Mm -hmm. Alexander Hislop, in his book, The Two Babylons, gives us a definite connection between Odin and the Middle East. Odin was the great north war god, the Assyrian and Babylonians also had a war god known as Adon, and the Greeks later had a god named uh, Adonai as well. Mm-hmm. The Babylonish Adon was uh, the god of wine in the Norse elder Edda. Oh, they are told that. Yeah, Saturnalia, <laughs> right? Yes, uh, we are told that Odin ate no food but wine. Quote, the illustrator's father of armies, with his own hand, uh, fattens his two wolves, but the victorious Odin takes no other nourishment to himself than what arises from the uh, unintermitting coughling uh, uh, of wine. <laughs> For this, with wine alone, that Odin in arms renowned is nourishing forever and quote yeah we will forever be drinking of the new wine <laughs> eventually right yes um, it has also been established that the north religion involved worship in sacred groves which were tree planted to stimulate the walls of a temple 
the Canaanites too had sacred grove uh, for worship, mm. and the uh, disobedient nation of Israel had adopted this form of worship uh, at the outset of their wanderings out of Palestine. Um, but the similarity between Middle East and the North Mythology does not end uh, there. One of Odin's sons in North Mythology was called Balder, which Hislop status comes from the Chaldean form of uh, Balser, meaning the seed of Baal. Ooh. Okay. Quoting so that... Alexander Hislop, quote, the Hebrew set. Um, as is well known, frequently in the later Chaldea becomes D. Now, Bal and Adon both alike uh, signify master or lord. And therefore, if Balder be admitted um, to be the uh, seed or son of Baal, that is uh, as much as to say that he is the son of Adon. And consequently, Adon and Odin must be the same. And Very good. Quote. Yeah, so the name Odin must be based on Adon, which is uh, the uh, contraction of the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning Lord or Master. Yes, Adonai. Okay. Yes, and Adonai, wasn't that a way to say God? Yes, that's God. That's a title. Exactly, it's a title. Yeah. It's not his yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> it's just saying Father. Right. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, the name of Odin's other well-known son is Thor. Again, to quote Mr. Hislop, quote, Now as Odin ha- uh, had a son called Thor, so the second Assyrian Aaron had the son called um, uh, Thor-Urdus. Thoros, and yeah. that is from um, uh, Sidrianus, volume 1, page 29. The name um, Toruus uh, seems just to be another form of Zoro. Zoro? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or Doro, uh, meaning the seed. So, okay. The uh, Hebrew is Zera. Z-E-R-A-H, meaning seed or offspring. Yeah. Okay. But this is more like Babylonian. Bless you. Um, so, as <laughs> Professor Hislop points out, Odin's son, Thor, is an ex- exact parallel to the Syrian god Adon's son, um, the Taurus. Right. Quite Very an good. Am- amazing similarity. And this is a bracket. Lexicon uh, parse 1, page 93. Uh, the D is often pronounced as uh, the uh, Adon in the pointing Right. Interesting. H. Mm. And in pointing Hebrew being Athon. Okay. So you can probably see the formation of the goddess Athena. With the A-T-H-E-N-A. Athena. So you see all of these words of the Greek mythology and Roman mythology. Almost all of them have a Hebrew original. But the, you know, the, the mythology is translated into different uh, genders and different people from the scriptures, but even uh, who is there? Uh, At- no, Atlas, not Atlas. Uh, Samson was mythologized as Hercules. Okay, but uh, the story of Samson, uh, Hercules, is based on the story of Samson. Back to you. Yes, 
Uh, interesting. That there's so much similarity, so much uh, that we we make our our forefathers to, yeah. to being gods, like this case with Odin. Yeah. How did Hercules meet his demise? Was he seduced by by a Palest by a Palestinian woman? To maybe, maybe not. Right. We have to. There's probably a similarity there too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Delilah. There was that. Delilah, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know that Alexander was seduced by a woman in Babylonia that right? poisoned him. There you go. That's it happens that very often. <laughs> yeah. Who was the, the Roman uh, wife? Uh, what was her name? She poisoned uh, uh, half, the, half the leaders of Rome, <laughs> right? <laughs> she had fun poisoning people, right? Oh, that was, it wasn't Nero's wife. Wasn't Nero's wife the Jewesses? Yeah, well, she was a convert to Judaism, but she wasn't uh-huh. Jewish to begin with. But she's the one who talked Nero into hiring uh, Jewish moneylenders and advisors. Okay. Okay, that was the start of the demise of the Roman Empire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> also, then we got rid of them after that. Uh-huh. And... It is extremely doubtful that all of this parallel detail could be more uh, happenstance. A very um, definite uh, cultural connection uh, somehow took place between the ancient Assyrians and Babylonians and the early European Norse. Yet yet another author uh, uh, lends credence to this. The professor Hans uh, Günther in his book, quote, Religious Attitudes of the Indo-Europeans, end quote. Yes. He finds much to admire in the Norse mythology, yet is led to admit that, quote, one perceives in him, Odin, the voice of an alien non-Nordic race. And Amen. Quote. Okay. That's page 11. Professor Günther goes on to associate certain aspects of Norse mythology with Babylon. And that was page 57. Yeah, okay. I, th- I thought of the name of that Roman woman who poisoned... Uh... Caesars, emperors, and even her own son, <laughs> Livia. Livia. That's when a period in Roman history when all Roman emperors were were assassinated and succeeded by their assassins. <laughs> right? That's kind of like where we're at here in America now. Oh, when was that? When was that in time? This, uh, this was the USS also that did that. Well, it was during the Imperial Roman period. Okay, oh. I, I, th- I think she was uh, she was married. Uh, I think it was before Claudius, before Claudius. A very a bad part of Roman history when you know people were assassinating each other left and right. Okay, Julius Caesar was assassinated, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, because he he tried to straighten out the economics of Rome. <laughs> he he actually had, was well intentioned there, but the uh, the Roman Senate wouldn't have it. Because too many senators were making money cheating the people, right? So they didn't want an honest currency. And what I've read is that um, the chest, the murder of Julius Caesar's chest, hangs in the in the um, in the halls of a Freemason temple. Ah, really? Okay. And uh, but, and at the side of this guy is the is the Ankarström, the Swedish Freemason that murdered the Swedish king. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah. So probably to get rid of the Swedish monarchs was something high on their list after this this uh, conference. Amen. Uh, that was the mission they set out to because we weren't loyal to their cause. Yeah. Was this after the Congress of Vienna? I was in Vienna. That was after that. That was, I guess, the first time when when uh, that was uh, wasn't that the first uh, meeting when the Freemasons or the Illuminati started okay. off. Oh, okay. Yes. So it was, uh, yeah, well, it was not too far, not too far off in that time frame. Okay, uh, please continue. Yet one more proof of a connection between the North and the ancient Canaanites should be noted. The evidence we have of human sacrifice, for although human sacrifice appears to have been unknown in British Isles, it uh-huh. was definitely practiced in the early days on the continent of Europe by the Celts. Was it? Yeah, I don't know. The, the claims the, are made, but I don't think uh, I don't think uh, the Celts the Celts are Israelites also, uh, descended from Zarah I don't think they practice cannibalism. So, no, I have hard time to 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 um, to believe that because right. that's uh, I, I think that is not even perceived of the Aryan mind. Right, exactly. That's, now maybe uh, now maybe much later in Celtic history, the, such pra- such practices came about, but certainly not with the original Celts, who were descendants of Zarahustra, who uh, sailed across the Mediterranean from Egypt way back around 1500 BC. And they began settling uh, Rome and France, you know, Gaul, and and Spain. Okay, so and, and Ireland as well. So I, I don't think these people practice cannibalism. But maybe much when they when the Nordic pagans, <laughs> I don't know, do the Nordic pagans practice cannibalism? I hope not. No, not what I've heard. But I heard of of those human sacrifice. That's right. Something I okay. Have. Yeah, that I've heard too. But but not cannibalism. All right, back to you. Okay, but it's appropriate at this point to show that there are also some undeniable dis- distinct similarities between North religion and that of the ancient Israelites. In fact, from the North uh, sages, we learn many facts which uh, uh, lead to a comparison of both God and God in the flesh, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. The tribes of Israel, at the time of their dispersions, would have been familiar with the Old Testament prophecies of a coming Messiah. Many of these ancient beliefs could have remained with them in their traditions after their dispersions from Palestine. So let's compare Bible prophecies with some of the basic beliefs cherished by the early North. The North myth um, recounts a remarkable account of uh, creation, which differs from the Bible in the in that the flood was said to be caused by the blood of a uh, slain giant. However, in Genesis 6, verse 4, the Bible does speak about the Nephilim, or giants, during the account of the flood. In the North account, the world is wiped out in this catastrophe, mm. uh, with the exceptions of one a household. We escaped on a, um, a skiff uh, or boat, and from uh, whom is descended the new race from which the god Odin came. Um, Odin is also called the quote Rafnagud, end quote, or Raven God, because he is said to have two ra- uh, Raven names, Hugin and Mumin, 
which is sent out into the world each day, returning at nightfall to tell him what uh-huh. they observed. Right. Uh, that was spies. His, um, Jewish spies. Right. Spies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quoting the Norse elder Edda. Um, quote, Hugin and Mumin fly each day over the spatious earth. I fear for Hugin that he came not back. Yet more anxious I am for Mumin. End okay. quote. That sounds uh, like the umum and the thummim of the <laughs> of the Bible, right? The uh, the jewels, uh, the uh, dress, you know, the armor plate of the Levitical priesthood. Okay, it's reminiscent of that concept because you know, they, uh, we'll see. But they, the jewels were turned into ravens. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> they didn't have any jewels when they wandered through Europe. All right, nay, yeah, you need it. Yeah. We don't need that. And uh, something that I also have is that, that something that Odin brought, uh, brought with him was a way to speech and also those kind of, kind of um, what do you say, um, poems. That was something that Odin brought with him. Because uh-huh. when, he, when he came, he also had a certain rhythm when he spoke. So that was yes. kind of, that made people yeah. to follow him. Like you, you have a certain rhythm when you speak. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that too. The accents in, <laughs> in the accents in Swedish are very different from the accents in English, right? Uh, yeah, it is. It's yeah. kind of we sing out our language. Uh, yeah, right. There you go. Yeah. Okay. And I, okay. I believe. Well, go that. ahead. Go ahead. Keep on singing. <laughs> All right. And I believe that this is something of the prophecies of Naphtali that said that he would have godly words. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that is. The prophecies for Naphtali. Naphtali is not given much prophecies, but he will have those what was it, godly words. Okay. Yeah. And I believe our language is that. That is beautiful, right. I guess. It's and written a, and, on it. Right. And, and a Swedish accent. <laughs> All right. Very good. Yeah. Uh, this bear, an unmistakable similarity with the account in Genesis chapter 8 of Noah, sending two birds out Aha. into the world. Aha. Mm. Very good. One of them, the raven which Noah was anxious for because he did not return. Very good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, another correlation between the Bible and Norse mythology. Very good. Excellent. There are many good. other interesting legends in the Norse sage, such as Sa- Thor. Sagas. Up, the Norse sagas. Yeah, Norse sagas, such as Thor conquering a serpent monster while dying in the process. Mm. Oh! Uh Mm. And by the way, have have you looked at a picture at Thor? Have you looked at what he has on his, what do you say, his his, uh, chest? What's the English word for a belt? On his belt, what insignia he have on his belt? Okay. Uh, Have a look at Thor, look at his belt. I N R I. Yes, you look at his belt and see what insignia he has on it. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, interesting insignia on his belt. Let me see if I can find some, because that is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Have the insignia. Yeah. You know, obviously, Thor represents Yahshua Messiah. There's, there's no other. Yeah. You know, but then he's, uh, he's referring to Genesis three fifteen. Okay. 
who conquered the serpent's seed by his own death, right? So that's excellent. A very, very, uh, this is, this guy is a two seed liner. It can't be the Jew. This, uh, this article must have been written by an associate of his because the, the Jews would never refer to Genesis 3.15 and the serpent seed. Right? No, exactly. They are, they having, that's why when I'm reading it, kind of you say all this. Yeah. No, this I, must I have been written by yeah. somebody else. Certainly not a British Israel author because British Israel denies two seed line. But uh, yeah, but definitely. No, I, I, uh, I will yeah. see if I can find a picture on Tora's old picture okay. I've seen because what he has yeah. on his belt is a swastika. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, he has it on his belt. Yeah. That's the symbol for the sun. The spinning, it's a spinning sun. That's what the swastika represents. And that's one of the yes. oldest emblems in uh, known uh, known history and unknown history. Yeah. <laughs> Prehistory, yeah. Okay. Uh, so there are many other interesting legends in Norse uh, sagas, which uh, such as Thor conquering a serpent monster while dying in the process. This was prophesied of Israel's Messiah in Genesis 3.15, who conquered the serpent's seed by his own death. Um, other Norse religious tradition come out from Old Testament as well. As an example, Odin is referred to as, quote, the lawgiver, end uh-huh. quote. This is the title our Heavenly Father uh, Yahweh could, uh, uh, could well claim, to give Moses upon Mount Sinai, the laws for our nation. Yes, okay. Very good. Uh, another important Norse god was Loki, the uh, the author of all evil. Uh, yeah, there we have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, who has said to be of um, um, swarthy complexion. I don't know what that means, but swarthy is dark. Uh, the, oh, okay, that yeah. fits. Mm-hmm. And originated in the land to the south. Yeah, this may well Eat be em. Israel. Eat them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And here it comes. This may well be Israel's remembrance of the Edomites of Palestine. There you go. <laughs> See, the, the Norse legends are almost perfectly in line with Scripture, and these pagans don't know it. No, because they think, they think that uh, Jesus is a Jew. Yes, right. Uh, an interesting parallel exists between Loki, who is said to lead the forces of evil in the last great battle in North mythology, and the Edomites of Bible prophecy at the end of the age. In Ezekiel chapter 36 to 39, in the last great battle, the Edomites are prominent in the forces of evil which come against. There we go, Gog and Magog. It's Edomites, folks. It's not Russians. It's Edomites. Yes. Um, the synagogue the of Satan. <laughs> yeah, they are cooperating all over the world to do this. The number 12 also must have been held in sacred significance to the north. For we read in the book Germanic Origins that Odin arrived in Svitjord or Skitja uh, with 12 chief priests. The presence of these 12 priests corresponds respectively to the 12 ordinal tri- tribal patriarchs of Israel. Um, and Svithjord, what I have seen, is the ancient name of Sweden. Mm-hmm. Svitoid, yes. Yeah, that is the ancient name of Sweden. 
So he and I know that Odin did arrive in Sweden up in Uppsala, where he settled down, I believe, and he formed <laughs> a town called um, Old um, Sigtuna. But Uppsala, Uppsala, maybe that's where he tripped. <laughs> yeah, Uppsala, that's the name on it. Yeah, Uppsala. It's on, uh, yeah. in uh, in Germanic, uh, well, even in English, oops. When you trip over something, you say oops, right? And uh, so he just kind of fell down there. Maybe he was so exhausted, he just fell down there. <laughs> and it's called Uppsala. Yeah, but he found the land here to be very, what do you say, kind to him. And he, and he, right. he, was, uh, he was the natural, he became a natural leader. Was right. how he, and, in, the, um, in the summertime, yeah. it was kind. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, and then it was a bit colder. Yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, good stuff. Okay. This is this article is way more in line with Two Seed Line than I ever could have imagined coming from uh, this website. Back to you. Yeah, because when I read it, I see a cello stuff that you wouldn't say this, would no, he? No, no, absolutely not. He points to themselves by pointing out the Edomites as the evil one. Exactly. Exactly. All right, very good. Mm. Early North scholar Snorri Sturluson, translator of many ancient Scandinavian legends, compiled the uh, Heimskringla, or Home Chronicles. He says that just before Odin died, um, he let himself be marked or wounded with a spear point, and that he was the owner of all men slain with weapons. The redeemer of Israel, huh? (laughs) Incredible. Back to you. Yes. Yes. And would go to Godheim, the world of the gods. Mm-hmm. And there welcome his friends. Yeah, this is a, a reference then to the kingdom. Amen. To the, the, the mansion that he prepares. Amen. Yeah, Norse mythology is absolutely based on the Hebrew and the New Testament as well, as we're finding out. Yes. Uh, the comparison with the Bible are, again, unmistakable. The Old Testament contains over 100 prophecies relating to the coming of our God in the flesh, our Emmanuel, or God with us. We find many of these in North mythological transferred to the character of Odin. In our Bible, we read that our, that our coming God was to be sacrificed. And this is from Zechariah 13, 7, uh, that he was to be pierced. And that is Zechariah 12, 10 but would have no broken bones. And that is from Psalms 34.20 and Exodus 12.46, where Passover is a type of type of Christ. Uh, and whereas our Savior was sacrificed on the tree. In, and that is in 1 Peter 2.23, the world translated cross literally means a tree. Okay. For nine hours. Psalm 22 and Matthew 27.46. Odin is said to have hung on a tree for nine days. Wow. Compared to Bible prophecies I've just read with these lines from the North Elder Edda. Um, quote, I know that I hung on a wind-rocket tree nine whole nights with a spear wounded and to Odin offered myself to myself. End quote. <laughs> Obviously, this is based on Old Testament prophecies. Okay, which uh, these Israelites would have been vaguely familiar with because they didn't have any written records. 
as they travel through the wilderness. So this is obviously their Hebrew-Israelite memory as Odin wrote this poem. Very interesting. Yes. Uh, the North legends uh, prominently refer to the end times. They say that in the end of the world, a great battle called um, Gotter uh, Damerung. Armageddon? Or... Armageddon? <laughs> Gotter Damerung Armageddon? No, no similarity whatsoever. <laughs> uh, or Twilight of the God. Why take place in the force of good and evil in this great battle all of the forces of good will be killed except for one called the all father ah yahweh no doubt the all father yeah. is yahweh fantastic i'm loving this but, but they right. say that all of the forces of good will be killed yeah all the forces of good will be killed except for okay. one called all father is that that we are all there be, to be slain? Well, I mean, of course, this is their interpretation, right? But they're all to be reincarnated after the great battle, right? Yeah, for judgment. Yes, after the judgment, yeah, right. Yeah. So you either pass or you fail, <laughs> right? Uh, all right, no, no cowards yes. in the kingdom. You can't be a coward no. and get into the kingdom. All right, back to you. <laughs> This brings me to my most important point. Quote, uh, Bull Finnish mythology, mythology end quote, states that, quote, the Scandinavians had an idea of a uh, deity superior to Odin, uncreated and oh. eternal, oh, end man. quote. And which they call the uh, Afadur, or All Father. The Alpha Male. <laughs> Alphadur. Dur is a Germanic for duration. Okay. Ah. Okay. So the eternal, the eternal father. Yeah. For okay. although the North mythology allows for a pantheon of gods, yet only one god is said to be immortal. Thor, Odin, and the others I have mentioned are mortal and die at the same point in the sages. In the sagas. Very good. Yeah. All right. Uh, and that is something I think that the pagans forget that yeah. Thor and Odin are they are mortal and die but they yeah. are one that is immortal and that is of yeah. course Yahweh God yeah, they are deified mortals absolutely no doubt about that yes uh, but above Odin was said to be uh, the one eternal true God unnamed except to be called the old father meaning the everlasting father as he is called in our Bibles in Isaiah 9.6 and other places. In the original language of the Old Testament, God's name was Yahweh, which for our Fenton translates as meaning the ever-living. The Norse called the Old Father by no other name, believing that his personal name was to <laughs> sacred token. See, they got that from the Jews. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> All right. Can't all be accurate. Although they apparently didn't have any records of what that name was. Okay. Compare this the actions of the few Israelites of the house of Judah who returned to Palestine and removed God's name, Yahweh, from our Bible, believing it to, it to sacred to be spoken. No, it wasn't the house of Judah. It was the Jews who did that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
they removed it from the Bible. Okay, but there was uh, there's actually a passage in the Old Testament where Yahweh says, "I will remove my name from your lips because because of the practice of swearing false oaths in His name." Okay, and so we precipitated that action. We brought that upon ourselves, but the Jews capitalized on it by perpetuating it. Yeah, you can't pronounce it at all. No, if you're righteous, you can pronounce it. But if you're unrighteous and swear by the name of Yahweh a false oath, you're in trouble, bro. <laughs> you better you better not swear false oaths in the name of Yahweh. Okay? Back to you. Yes, I am uh, convinced that although the North uh, mythology was corrupted with the religion of Assyria and, and Canaan, yet uh, the proof are that um, that they that they were indeed the people of the book. Right. This is a very very valuable document here. I have to share this with all of my uh, friends in the you know, pagan uh, community. You know who are uh, I think finally gravitating toward Christian identity, uh, thanks to the work we do here at Eurofolk Radio and other people in the identity movement. And that's why it, it pays to you know maintain friendships with the Aryans, you know, who have these uh, mythological roots. It includes the Nordic pagans and um, white nationalists, you know, who falsely believe that Jesus was a Jew. These kind of documents prove our point, right, very clearly, absolutely clearly. So uh, we have about 10 minutes left. So I I found the name of, uh, it was Livia. Let's see, Livia Drusilla. And this is, we have, uh, hold on, I have to get rid of this ad that covered my page here. Uh, Livia, she was the third wife of Claudius. So, uh, and it says about her, Livia Drusilla, imperial wife of Rome and emperor maker. Livia Drusilla was the third wife of Augustus, the first Roman emperor. Prior to her marriage, I guess Claudius came later. Uh, prior to her marriage to Augustus, she was married to a Roman politician by the oh okay by the name of Tiberius Claudius Nero. Through this first marriage, Livia had two sons, Tiberius and Drusus. Now T- Tiberius was the one who was in power. Uh, if it's the same Tiberius, maybe it's not the same Tiberius uh, who ruled uh, during the days of Christ and ruled over you know uh, Palestine. But there might be a different Tiberius, because as you can see, Tiberius Claudius Nero <laughs> has the name of three different emperors, okay? Maybe she figured by giving him the names of three different emperors, he'd be more powerful. Anyway, through this first marriage, Livia had two sons, Tiberius and Drusus. Whilst the former succeeded Augustus as emperor, the latter's descendants also became emperors. As a matter of fact, all the emperors of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, apart from Augustus, are descended from Livia. Whoa! Had no idea. She was a very important woman. It was through his mother's influence that Tiberius became Augustus's heir. Very good. And there has been much speculation that she was responsible for eliminating her son's rivals to the throne. Following Augustus's death, whom she may have poisoned, Livia continued to exert her influence, though this brought her into conflict with her son. Livia Drusilla died in 29 AD, but only received posthumous honors 
much later during the reign of Claudius. Now let me see if, we, if there's more here. Okay, oh, there's a bust, there's a statue of Livia here, pictured in this document. Livia Drusilla, third wife of the first Roman Emperor Augustus. Livia Drusilla was born on the 30th of January, 58 BC, and was the daughter of Marcus Livius Drusus Claudianus and his wife, Alphidia. The former was a Roman senator and the adoptive son of Marcus Livius Drusus, the tribune or tribune of 91 BC. Around the time of Julius Caesar's assassination, okay, all right, maybe she had a hand in that too, i.e. in 44-43 B.C. Livia married Tiberius Claudius Nero, who is said to have been her cousin. In 42 B.C., Livia gave birth to her first son, Tiberius. Yes, so she was indeed the mother of Tiberius, the Caesar during the days of Christ. Fascinating. In 39 B.C., Livia was pregnant with her second son, Drusus, at the same time, Octavian, who later became known as Augustus, arranged for her to divorce her first husband so that he could marry her. Augustus himself was married at the time to his second wife, Scribania. In any case, after Livia gave birth to Drusus in January 38 BC, she divorced her husband whilst Octavian divorced his wife. This is like a regular patent place, isn't it? Apparently, Octavian arranged this marriage as he needed the political connections of Livia's family. Wow, Livia is way more important in history and Roman history than I ever realized. Livia's children, Tiberius and Drusus, continued to live because uh, you know the uh, the British, the BBC, had done a documentary all about Livia and uh, the way she poisoned her way to the top, right? <laughs> And there was a little bit of a sleeping her way to the top here as well, okay, after she poisoned somebody. Tiberius continued to live with her, their father. When he died in 33 BC, however, the boys went to live with their mother and Octavian. In 27 BC, Octavian was granted the title Augustus by the Roman Senate, which indirectly marks the beginning of his reign as emperor. Livia, therefore, was now the empress of Rome, and she was honored with statues and public displays. But later, those statues were removed because of her her reputation, her infamous reputation. So uh, I see you put a a a, a note in the uh, in my personal chat room. Is that related to what we're talking about here? Or yes, this... that's, the... that's oh, the okay. I will oh, okay. Okay, I'll share that with the chat room. So that's Thor who is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryan, right? With a big old hammer which in which he's destroying the Edomites, okay? But he, and his chariot is being pulled by two goats. Very interesting. <laughs> okay, so we see, and yeah, he's got a swastika and a very ornate swastika on uh, one side of his belt. And I'm not sure, but in the center of the belt, it looks like the belt has, the belt buckle has two swastikas, one one to the left and one to the right. And I can't make out the symbolism of the actual medallion on his belt buckle. But yeah, very good. I'll share that with the uh, with the people in the chat room momentarily. But let me continue with this. This is very interesting. Uh, Nevertheless, with regard to the issue of succession, Augustus chose to sideline his adopted children, i.e. Livius' children, favoring his own biological descendants instead. 
Incidentally, Augustus and Livia did not have children of their own. Instead, the emperor had a daughter, Julia the Elder, with his second wife, Scribania. So, so Livia was frozen out, <laughs> and her children, and she wanted desperately for her sons to become emperor, right? That, that, that's, she poisoned her way to the top. This Julia, who was Augustus's only biological child, was first married to Marcus Claudius Marcellus, Augustus's nephew, and a popular choice as heir to the throne. In 23 BC, however, Marcellus fell ill and died. Now, I wonder how he fell ill, <laughs> right? A lot of people have accused Livia of poisoning him. The Roman historian Cassius Dio reports that Livia was accused of having a hand in Marcellus's death because Augustus favored his son-in-law more than her sons. Dio, however, also cast doubt on these accusations noting that there was a plague in Rome that year and that many people died of it. Well, I mean, Livia could have assisted (laughs) in in that plague, right? Both stories could be true. Two years after Marcellus' death, Livia was married again, this time to Marcus Vespanius Agrippa, a close friend of the emperor and his right-hand man. Agrippa was another popular choice as Augustus' heir, This marriage produced three sons, Gaius Caesar, Lucius Caesar, and Agrippa Postumus, as well as two daughters, Julia the Younger and Agrippina the Elder. Gaius was born in 20 BC and Lucius three years later. When Lucius was born, the two brothers were adopted by Augustus and made co-heirs to the throne. Unfortunately, Gaius and Lucius died at a young age, the former in 4 AD and the latter in 2 AD. So you can see the conniving going on behind the scenes for the throne of Rome. Dio records that Gaius died at Limira whilst he was journeying back from Armenia after falling ill from a wound. Lucius, on the other hand, died of a sudden illness whilst he was in Massilia. Once again, Livia was suspected of having a hand in the deaths of Augustus's heirs. Dio, for instance, reports that, quote, In connection with both deaths, therefore, suspicion attached to Livia, and particularly because it was just at this time that Tiberius returned to Rome from Rhodes. Another Roman historian, Tacitus, also entertains the idea that Gaius and Lucius were victims of Livia's plotting. Untimely fate or the treachery of their stepmother Livia cut off both Lucius and Caius Caesar. Lucius on his road to the Spanish armies, Caius wounded and sick, on his return from Armenia, right? So, wow, I mean, Livia is a very uh, important character in Roman history, uh, pretty much ignored by everybody. Uh, Final paragraph here. Livia, Drusilla's son, Tiberius, becomes adopted heir. As a consequence of the deaths of Gaius and Lucius, Tiberius was finally adopted by Augustus as his heir in 4 AD on the condition that Tiberius turned in turn, adopt Germanicus, his brother's son, as his heir. Prior to this, in 11 BC, after Agrippa's death, Tiberius was forced by Augustus to to divorce his first wife, Vipsania Agrippina, so that he could marry Julia, although this was intended to strengthen relationships between the emperor and his adopted son. It seems that it was an unwanted and unhappy marriage for both Tiberius and Julia as uh, many arranged marriages are. (laughs) Folks, very fascinating stuff here. 
that I'll put in the chat room now. Uh, you never know you know, uh, how many uh, emperors g- uh, were assassinated to the top? How many people had to be assassinated before a particular ruler could be put in place in the throne of Rome? Okay, folks. Upsala, right? <laughs> Upsala. That that's where that's where Odin fell <laughs> or landed. <laughs> Upsala. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Upsala. All right, folks. Uh, I just posted in the chat room this wonderful history of Livia, which uh, is she turns out to be way more important to Roman history than I ever realized. So uh, we uh, we we uncovered some uh, unknown history there. All right, Michael. Thank you for narrating today. I think uh, this is a tremendously important article on the the connection between uh, Asgard. And and the the what do you call it the the Norse myth, mythology related to the Hebrew of the Bible. Okay, very important stuff. Okay, all right, folks. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. And Michael, Yahweh bless to you. Yahweh bless you and all the, all the listeners. Thank amen, you very much. Amen. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Take care, and we will see you hopefully uh, around noontime Eastern time for Pastor Martin's. He's supposed to be available today. <laughs>